Welcome to Newport Beach in the Rearview Mirror, a podcast about the events and people, famous and forgotten, that shaped Newport Beach. I'm Bill Lobdell. And bad mistakes, I've made a few. This episode almost needs no introduction. The title says it all. The 20 Worst Ideas in Newport Beach History. And by the way, 20 very bad ideas is a ridiculously low number considering Newport Beach in one form or another has been around for more than 150 years. Coming up with this list, I found it interesting that the worst ideas can be sorted into two sets of categories. The first level, was the idea bad from the start or did it seem like a good idea at the time? And that's tricky to decide because you really have to put yourself back in the time when the idea was first floated. The second level has three buckets you can place the bad ideas in. One, the idea was so nuts that it got rejected before getting off the ground. Two, the idea was implemented but later killed. And three, and thank goodness there's only one of these on the list, the bad idea was adopted and is still causing grief for Newport residents today. Another note, most of these bad ideas, thankfully, had little or no historical impact on Newport Beach. We're doing this countdown style. So part one of the Worst Ideas episode will cover bad ideas 20 through 13 on our list. Part two and part three will run down the top 12 worst ideas in Newport Beach history. Now we're going to zip through most of these bad ideas very quickly. So buckle up and here goes. The 20th worst idea in Newport Beach history was when the city required licenses for surfboards. From 1966 to the beginning of 1970, surfers in Newport Beach had to pay an annual $3 fee for a surfboard license. If the board didn't have a license on it, and it had to be placed six inches from the fin on the bottom of the board, that was uh, very important apparently, then the police or lifeguards could confiscate the boards, levy fines, and in some cases, arrest the surfer. So why did Newport Beach require the license? The official reason was that the increasing popularity of surfing in the mid-1960s required more lifeguards, more beach services, and more police resources. That justification seems incredibly thin, given that A, surfers are a pretty self-sufficient bunch and excellent watermen, it's hard to imagine they needed lifeguards to help them out. And B, the window of time surfers can be in the water in those days was incredibly narrow. 7.30 to 10 a.m. There's no dawn patrol in those days, I guess. And from 31st Street to the river jetty only from 5.30 p.m. to sunset. Also, consider that this was at the dawn of the wetsuit era so most of the surfing would have happened late spring to early fall. The surfers just weren't in the water that much. So bottom line, 
the new surfing craze wasn't taxing city coffers much, if at all. The real reason Newport Beach officials required a surfboard license was that they just didn't like surfers that much and tried to do anything they could to limit the number of them, to control them, and to hassle them. You have to remember that back in the day, surfers didn't exactly have a stellar reputation. I remember in the 1970s, my dad yelling at my big brother for simply surfing too much and telling him he was never going to mount to anything more than a surf bum. That was just the thinking of moms and dads and others in the older generation in the 1960s and into the 70s who were trying to process this strange new sport and probably even more foreign and threatening the new surf culture. And and by the way, my brother turned out to be a very successful financial planner and a surf bum who lives on the north shore of Oahu. Turns out, My dad was half right. Now, Newport Beach's surfboard licensing program had two unintended consequences. One, the city, probably feeling a little bit out on a limb, encouraged other Southern California coastal cities to require licenses as well. But no one followed suit. And because of that, the surfboard license became an aquatic scarlet letter whenever Newport Beach surfers paddled out at other beaches or competed in contests. The other ripple effect that can still be seen today is this. A vintage surfboard with a Newport Beach license still attached is now a collector's item. One of those surfboards with a 1966 license recently went on sale for $5,000. Instead of being a scarlet letter, the seller highlighted the surfboard license as a key selling point. The bottom line on the surfboard license, bad idea at the time. It's amazing the program lasted four years. Given the non-conformist nature of surfers and the fact that Newport Beach was an outlier among California coastal cities. All right, the 19th worst idea in Newport Beach history was trying to change Newport Beach's name to Balboa. I'll be really quick on this one because we covered it in episode three. But in a nutshell, this was the brainchild of a Balboa Island real estate agent named Earl Stanley, who in 1940 became obsessed with the thought of switching the city's name from Newport Beach to Balboa. The Newport Beach moniker, he wrote, quote, cheapens our community and puts us in the same category with a dozen other beaches up and down the coast, unquote. He added that Newport Beach was, quote, a harsh and colorless name, unquote, while Balboa was, quote, a colorful, romantic name of Spanish origin, very appropriate to Southern California, unquote he actually gathered enough signatures to get the name change proposal on the ballot. But residents voted 1,014 to 581, almost two to one, to kill it. This was a bad idea from the start and thankfully got rejected by the residents before it could be implemented. 
the 18th worst idea in Newport Beach history. The proposal to position a Navy submarine underwater at the entrance of Newport Harbor during World War II. The thought was that this would guard against a attack from a Japanese submarine. And I debated putting this on the list because on one hand, the U.S. was at war. And in February 1942, just a few months after Pearl Harbor, a Japanese sub attacked an oil field on the coast of Santa Barbara County. That attack, as intended, created an incredible amount of fear up and down the West Coast. But on the other hand, Newport Beach had no oil fields or any strategic targets except a few small boatyards that had been refitted to build small naval ships. If the Japanese were seeking West Coast targets, San Diego Harbor, Port of LA, San Francisco, and Seattle all seemed more likely candidates. But at any rate, the idea of guarding Newport Harbor with a submarine was eventually sunk by naval officials. Now for the 17th worst idea in Newport Beach history. The move by the city to install a checkpoint near the entrance of Balboa Island that barred tourists from entering if the island got too crowded on weekends, holidays, or summer days. <laughs> this, just on the surface, this seemed like a nutty idea. In 1960, the city council enacted a policy that blocked non-residents from going over the Balboa Island Bridge when the streets got too crowded, a situation that the city called Condition Hot. The Balboa Island Improvement Association proposed the idea, saying the blockade would free up parking places, cut down on loitering on Marine Avenue, the, the island's main street, and eliminate solo drag racing, which I guess in 1960 was some sort of problem. The checkpoint was installed partly in response to complaints about the island being overrun by tens of thousands of teenagers who descended upon Newport during spring break in the 1950s and 60s. But the program morphed into something that just didn't bar kids on spring break from the island. The stories in local newspapers back then often didn't even mention the spring break problem, and the island still closed down during condition-hot periods outside of spring break. I mean, can you imagine the traffic jams on Bayside Drive and Jamboree Road and the frustration of tourists when the entrance to Baboa Island was closed? Mercifully, the program seemed to die a quick and quiet death. I couldn't find a single newspaper story about the checkpoint being dismantled. I'm guessing the merchants weren't too pleased that free-spending tourists were being turned away, and the barricading of Balboa Island on busy days didn't give Newport Beach much of a vibe of being tourist-friendly. Sticking with the Balboa Island theme, here are the 16th 15th, and 14th worst ideas in Newport Beach history, all courtesy of Balboa Island's original developer, W.S. Collins. Collins was a complicated man, equal parts visionary, entrepreneur, and huckster. He was a big thinker who had a vision that he could turn a lowly mudflat called Skype Island 
into a showcase bayfront development called Balboa Island. So in 1906, as Collins' tiny steam-powered dredger slowly built the island from the mud and silt and sand of the bottom of the bay, he somehow talked initial visitors into buying lots for summer homes on a piece of property that was only accessible by boat, was riddled with mosquitoes, lacked basic infrastructure, and occasionally disappeared at high tide. He sold the lots by making extravagant promises. The island would boast a large hotel, expansive park, a luxurious ferry for trips across the bay, and for each lot sold, Collins promised he'd throw in a motorboat. None, none of this happened. So with that background, here are his three worst ideas. The 16th worst idea in Newport Beach history, Collins proposed building a race car track on Balboa Island. No kidding. Remember, this was back in the early part of the 20th century when automobiles were still a novelty. Collins became obsessed with cars and wanted a racetrack around his island. It would run behind the bayfront homes and circle the island. And as I'm thinking about this, maybe Collins considered the race car track as a draw to attract would-be buyers. I mean, after all, he hosted clam bakes and barbecues and boat rides to lure people to the island. And with enough lot sales, maybe the racetrack would disappear and that land be turned into lots. If that was his plan, it was ingenious. But I'm going to, for once, take Collins at his word that the racetrack would just be one of the many incredible features of Balboa Island. Besides, if I apply any critical thinking, this three-part episode would be reduced to a very uneven 19 worst ideas. And of course, we can't have that. And lastly, to me, this is just a very cool historical fact. So it stays on the list. The 15th worst idea in Newport Beach history. Despite promising lot buyers a modern sewer system, W.S. Collins' terrible idea was to build a primitive one where the sewage pipes emptied directly into the bay. If that wasn't bad enough, the pipes were exposed at low tide, making the beaches of Balboa Island uninhabitable. By the way, a proper sewer system wasn't installed for almost two decades, and it was done courtesy of the city of Newport Beach. The third bad idea from Collins, and this is number 14 on our list, building on the cheap a promised seawall that was supposed to protect the homes from high tides. The first seawall that he had constructed was a wooden bulkhead reportedly only 10 inches high that was built in 1909. Needless to say, that tiny seawall didn't hold back much water at all and quickly decomposed. Just three years later, Cheapskate Collins, and that would be a apropos nickname for him, made a second attempt at a seawall. This time, using a mix of shells, sand, 
And as one resident wrote sarcastically, quote, a slight flavor of cement. The cement in question was called German cement, which apparently was the most inexpensive kind you can buy. That second seawall collapsed within a few years, and it wouldn't be until 1923 that the city of Newport Beach would once again come to the rescue and build a proper seawall. With these three bad ideas and a lot more, it's no wonder that Collins Balboa Island Development Company went bankrupt about a decade after he started building on the island he created basically from scratch. The 13th worst idea in Newport Beach history was the city allowing the beloved and famed China House in China Cove to be torn down. The China House, which was demolished in 1987, has been called the Eiffel Tower of Newport Beach. I'd also throw into that analogy mix a scaled-down version of the Golden Gate Bridge or the St. Louis Arch. As boaters entered Newport Harbor, they were greeted by this funky, Asian-inspired two-story house built in 1930 on what was known in the early days of Newport as Rocky Point. The beautiful and unique China House practically screamed, Welcome to Newport, and became synonymous with the city. Tourists would see the China House on postcards, in paintings and photographs. Next to the Balboa Pavilion, it was the most famous structure in Newport Beach. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's rewind to the beginning. William Lindsay, an attorney and department store owner, built the home as a tribute to his wife, who was, guess what, a fan of Asian architecture and decor. With its tiled pagoda-styled roof, ornate fixtures, and a carved massive dragon at the front door. The home was quickly dubbed the China House, even though some of its elements were of Japanese origin. And of course, the China House inspired the name of China Cove, the picturesque little beach that it towered over. As the years went by, the China House became something of a white elephant with a hopelessly outdated floor plan and a plethora of other needed improvements. As one architect put it, everyone wants to look at it, but nobody wants to live in it. So the Lindsay family heirs put the home up for sale in the mid-1980s, but found no buyers for three years. Eventually, a local doctor bought it and announced plans to tear it down and build two houses in its place. This set off alarm bells among many Newport Beach locals who thought the 57-year-old home should be declared a historical landmark. And they announced a goal of raising $1.6 million to buy the house and save it, despite the fact the owner kept saying he had no intention to sell it, basically at any price. The Newport Beach activists who called themselves the Newport Beach Conservancy, finally filed a last-ditch lawsuit in Orange County Superior Court to prevent the demolition of the China House. But the house 
didn't meet the state's criteria for a historical landmark, and the judge let the wrecking ball swing. Now, it's impossible to blame the doctor for trying to get the best use out of the property he bought. He was just following the city and the Coastal Commission's rules. Where this qualifies as a bad idea is that Newport Beach, an affluent city flush with cash reserves, should not have passed on the opportunity to buy the most famous historical house in town while it sat on the market for three years. A city-owned China house could have been turned into a research library, appointment only out of respect for the other China Cove residents, that housed historical archives from City Hall, the Public Library, the Newport Beach Historical Society, overflow of local historical materials from the Sherman Library, and the later on the scene and fabulous Corona del Mar Historical Society and Balboa Island Museum. As the Catholic Church would say, this was a sin of omission, not commission. The bad idea on the city of Newport's part was just to sit back and let a city treasure vanish. A fun postscript on the China House? Longtime China Cove resident John Hamilton had the foresight to salvage some of the historical pieces of the China House, including parts of its pagoda roof, which John used on a little building just above his garage on Lane Way. And thanks to the Corona del Mar Historical Society for that little tidbit. Okay, that's it for part one of this episode. If you liked this segment, you'll be happy to know that the ideas only get worse and worse. Thanks for getting into this podcast time machine with me and revisiting eight of the 20 worst ideas in Newport Beach history. We'll see you next time.